Hello, City Hope. It's good to see you this weekend. Thanks for being with us. I want to welcome the campuses, Mobile, Foley, Baymanette, and then all the gentlemen there at the correctional facilities. We welcome you to our services, and uh, I just uh, really excited. You, you know, when you do an eight-week series and you get down to the next, the last, and you're asked if you're enjoying it, and there's four hand claps. You know, your Im impulse is, well, let's just finish it today. Uh, but really, next weekend is the best. And because we're really going to make an effort to invite those who are prodigals, who have not found their way home, to come home. So we want you to help us with that. And that's how we're going to roll it out next weekend. So if you'll help us with that, we're, we'll hopefully believe God will touch the hearts of some people. So I want to get right into this. Uh, if you're tracking along, I'll be in Zechariah 3, and I'll be in Esther 8, and a lot of other places, and uh, you can follow along on the screen. The title of the message this weekend is The Gifts of the Father. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Hold your hand up. How many of you have heard of the gifts of Jesus? Yeah, you're kind of like, I'm not sure. Well, Maybe you haven't heard it phrased that way, so let me show you the gifts of Jesus. They're in Ephesians 4, 11. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers with the equipping of the saints. So those are the gifts that Jesus gave. But I think in, in the parable in Luke 15, it gives an analogy of some gifts the Father gives himself. So if the Father's giving gifts, I want to know what they are. I want to know how they apply to my life. So in Luke 15, 20, let me go back to the story. And he arose, the prodigal son, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. So the father's still looking. The father hasn't given up. The father never gives up. He's still looking. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In the Greek, what that describes is on the neck back and forth on each side of the neck he kissed him over and over and over and over again one of the reasons he did this is because in that culture with what this young man did demanding his inheritance before the father died basically saying I don't care if you live or die just give me my inheritance uh, the community would have stoned him he wouldn't have made it home I think that's one of the reasons the father is looking but also I think it's a reason the father kissed him so compassionately to let the community know this is my son you're not going to stone him verse 21 and the son said to him father i've sinned against heaven and in your sight i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants bring out the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet so there are the three gifts of the father and we're going to look at what they mean spiritually but before we do, I want you to see, again, the significance of the parable of the prodigal because it's included in a list of three parables. Remember, it's the parable of the shepherd and a woman and a father. And the shepherd lost one. He had 100 sheep. He lost one. The woman had 10 coins, lost one. And the father had two sons, lost one. And if you notice that every parable that which was lost becomes more rare. You have a one in a hundred, and then you have one in ten, and then you have one in two. So it, it's increasing. Here, here's what God's wanting us to look at. If you look at these three parables, they're all in this story. 
he wants you to see this. He wants you to see what's important in the parables. What was lost? The disparity of the one who lost it. The shepherd, the woman, the father. And the joy that which was lost was found. The joy that comes when they found it. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. So in this story, we know that the father and the prodigal son would represent God the father. And then the other parable of the shepherd, we know Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And I believe the woman who lost the, the coin, she can represent the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Understand that male and female are not in God. Yes, he is the father. It's hard to understand, but he's not a male. Male and female are in God. So when you're thinking about this nurturing aspect, it would represent the Holy Spirit of God. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. I mean, you, you know, you can attest to this. When you were a child and you got hurt, who did you run to? I'm sorry, who? Mama, right. Because daddy's going to say, hey, suck it up, buttercup. You know, like, hey. Dad's going to say, get over it. I'm, when I was your age walking to school, I killed a bear with my, no, my notebook, you know. <laughs> you all heard the stories. You know, I walked to school barefoot, in snow, uphill both ways. That's dad's. That's the way we are. But that's not mama. Mama says, come here. And they kiss it and love and nurture. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. So in these three parables, you have a shepherd representing Jesus, this woman who lost a coin. And by the way, the, the coins were represented one day's wage. And she had, basically, she had 10 days of food left. So to lose one day of food was very important for her to find it. So you have this shepherd. He knows every sheep is valuable. He's lost one, so he's trying to find the one sheep. And then you have a father that's lost a child. The disparity is what the father feels. These parables are about how the father felt when he lost his kids. And then the joy he feels when they come home. So when he, when he comes home, the joy, then the father turns and offers gifts to this son. A robe, a ring, and shoes. So we're going to talk about these gifts and what they mean and each point of this message is formed into a question for you. So here's the first question. Are you wearing your robe? Are you wearing your robe? Isaiah 61.10, the prophet said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. The robe represents righteousness. And I could give you a lot of scriptures, even in Revelation, where it talks about the robes being the righteousness of the saints. But I want you to look at a story in Zechariah, which really gives this incredible picture of the robe. Zechariah 3 and verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. And this is not Joshua that's running with Moses. This is Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan is standing at his right hand to oppose him. His enemy, Satan, is there to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He's talking about Joshua, but we're all brands plucked from the fire. Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. You, you remember what the Bible is where it talks about filthy garments. That, that what, what do we have that is, is filthy rags. What, what we have is our righteousness. It's filthy rags in comparison. So Joshua was clothed with filthy rags and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. 
So we say, yes, our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Well, what are filthy rags in the sight of God? Iniquity. Iniquity. Even in the best that I can be, even in in all of my self-endeavors, my best will still not measure up to the righteousness of God. So he removes my iniquity, covers me with a robe of righteousness, and he gives me his righteousness. But understand this. This is important, that God's righteousness is imputed. That's a biblical word for an, it's an accounting term. So it means to deposit into your account. So God deposited righteousness, Jesus Christ's righteousness into my account. But here's the great thing. He withdrew out my iniquity from my account. He took my iniquity out. And by the way, he put my sins in his son's account. And that's why it wasn't wrong for Jesus to die. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He put my sins into his account and he died because of my sins. And then watch, God took my righteousness and put it in his account. That's good news. Then he removes the filthy garments from us, but he doesn't leave us naked. He gives us a robe to wear. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they were aware of their nakedness. First emotion they feel from their soulish realm is shame. Shame. See, God can not only remove my iniquities, but he can can cover my shame. Because we're all going to have shame. We've all done things, said things we wish we hadn't done. But he can remove the iniquity, but I don't have to live with the shame because he can cover the shame. That's what Isaiah 61 was saying. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. And by the way, listen, understanding God imputed righteousness is the only way you will defeat shame in your life. People carry shame. They can't look you in the eyes. In their mind, they're thinking all this. Listen, the only way you're going to overcome shame is to understand that God imputed righteousness. In other words, God has covered your nakedness. And I believe God has imputed his righteousness in us, but I also believe that we should live righteously. That's our part. Just, just because he's done this doesn't mean I can live any way I want to live. No, I need to live righteously. When a believer lives unrighteously, it, it, it's like running around naked and it brings shame on him and it brings shame on the body of Christ. So God gives us a robe. But here's what I'm asking. Are you wearing your robe? Because you have a choice. You have a choice if you're going to wear it in the morning spiritually. The Bible says, put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Did you know that there is a spirit of heaviness? Anybody ever encountered that? There is a spirit of heaviness. But did you know that, that if you've ever been attacked by that, that you can put on a garment of praise? You have a choice. And it takes care of that spirit of heaviness. Now, I, I, I know I, maybe this will help you get a little more connected to what I'm saying. It's not a trick question, but how many of you every morning before you go out to work or take the kids to school or whatever you do in the morning, how many of you, uh, how many of you before you leave the house get dressed? Those of you who did not raise your hand, we have a freedom ministry that you need to attend you need some freedom for our sake okay do you get dressed spiritually every morning have you ever left the house naked spiritually all of us have probably you have to put on 
The father gave the son the robe, but it was up to him to wear it. You have to put it on. He has given us his righteousness. It's up to us to put it on every morning, to meet with God, spend time with God, and walk out with his spiritual righteousness on. Are you wearing your robe? Here's the second question. Are you using your ring? Let me help you understand the concept of the ring. In Genesis 41, verse 42, I'm going to read this. It's it's talking about Pharaoh and Joseph. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, He clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had made. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the lands of Egypt. Here's what a ring means. In the Bible, it means authority. Authority. When Pharaoh gave Joseph the ring, it meant he had authority. But let let me explain authority. Authority is also imputed. In other words, Joseph did not have authority on his own. He had authority because Pharaoh gave him authority. We don't have authority on our own. We have authority because God has given us that authority. And and let me remind you of something that happened to Jesus because Jesus gets in this confrontation with the Pharisees and they ask Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? He's healing the sick, there's miracles. By what authority do do, do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? So they knew he had to have authority from somewhere. And Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing this, okay? You can read it yourself. It's in Matthew 21. Jesus said, well, I'll ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer yours. So here's the question he asked. Well, John the Baptist, was his baptism from heaven or from men? So the Pharisees turn and they're talking among themselves and they say, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you get baptized then? And if we say from men, the people are going to stone us because they love John the Baptist. So we just say we don't know. So they said, we don't know. Jesus said, well, I don't know either. That's not what he really said, but that's what he's implying. But most people think the story ends there, but it doesn't. If you read it, the same red letters keep rolling, okay? They're questioning him. Who gave you this authority? Where did it come from? Matthew 21, 28, what's what Jesus does? But what do you think? What do you think? You're the religious leaders. Then he gives a story, and the story goes like this. Hey, there was a man who had two sons. He came to the first Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not, but afterward regretted it and went and worked. Then he came to the second son and said likewise. And he answered and said, I will go, sir. But he didn't go. So which of the two did the will of the father? Which of the two obeyed the father? And they said the first. See, here's what they did. They asked the question, where did you get this authority? Who gave it to you? Jesus said, well, what do you think? And here's the story. Man had two sons. One obeyed, one did not obey. So he answers their question with this story, and this is what it means. Authority comes from doing the will of the Father. Your spiritual authority comes from obeying God. So when I ask you, are you using your ring, what I'm saying is, are you under authority? Are you walking in obedience to God? Because if not, you lose your authority. That's how you get authority, by staying under authority. Well, why do I need spiritual authority? It's the 21st century. Well, let me just show you the weight of this. And I'm going to jump over to a little story in Esther. Just one verse. You you probably know the story of Esther. In Esther 8.8, here's what was written. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. Watch this last part. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us that everything in the Old Testament is written for an example for us. So what's the spiritual meaning of what we just read? For whatever is written in the king's name is sealed with the king's signet ring. No one can revoke. That's, that's exactly what it means. Any, anything written in the Bible, written in the king's name, Jesus, and sealed with the king's ring, no one can revoke it. So if you go back to the story of the prodigal son, who has the ring? The son does. You do. Sons and daughters. We have that ring. We have, we have that authority. And everything that is written in the king and sealed by the king in the work, we have that. In other words, it reminds me of this. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. In other words, wherever you put, whatever you put the ring on something, and, and he wrote. Now, you, you, and listen, you can't put the ring on something he didn't write. But everything he wrote, every, every promise, you put the ring on it, you have that authority. You, you have authority. And listen, it blows me away that we can have that kind of authority. That whatever was written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring, he gave us that ring to wear. That's the ring. But why do I need authority? It's the 21st century. Well, let me show you. Luke 9.1. Then he called the 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. In Luke 10, 1, and after these things, the Lord appointed 70 elders also. And by the way, this blows away the doctrine that this was just for the 12 disciples. Here's 70. Sent them out two by two, by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 17, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject, subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But aren't you glad there aren't demons anymore? Aren't, aren't you excited there are no more demons? No, there's demons. <laughs> they're still here, okay? They're still working. They haven't left. They're right here. And they're attacking your health. They're attacking your finances. They're, they're, they're attacking your marriage. They're attacking your children. They're still here. So why do I need authority? Because they're still demons. They're still demons. He said, therefore, I give you the authority, the ring, the authority. But listen to me. Don't, you, you don't have to allow the demons to come against your teenagers or your children, your marriage, or your business. And, and while I'm on this, let, let me say this. Do you understand that if you have a business, it means you have the potential to put resources into the kingdom of God and Satan is going to fight your business? Because you have potential but you see, when we all pull, pool our resources, like the legacy offering, that we, can, that we can do great things for the kingdom of God. So he's going to fight all of our finances. It's what he does. But, but here, here's, here, here's what's great. We read it a moment ago in Zechariah. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. H how would you like for God to rebuke the devil for you? Anybody? Listen, let me just see if I got this right. In Malachi, there is a verse that says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse where you're fed, if you bring your tithe into the house of God, and he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now listen, for a business person, to bring 10% into the house of the Lord where you're fed, that's a pretty good deal. 
That's a pretty good deal. You're getting, so he's going to rebuke. What's he going to rebuke? He's going to keep the enemy from destroying the fruit of the ground of what you're working so hard to see. He's going to stop that so that the vine will produce fruit. I, I, it, it just never fails. Anytime you talk about money, it goes sideways a little bit. So it's okay. Okay? Thirdly, are you wearing your shoes? You need to wear the robe. You need to use the ring. Thirdly, are you wearing your shoes? First, you have to understand what it means to take shoes off so we can understand what it means to put shoes on. I'm going to go to another story, story of Boaz and Ruth. Ruth had a husband that died. She had no children. She returns back to Israel. In Israel, God provided there for there to be an heir that was for her brother or a near kinsman redeemer to marry the widow and then raise up an heir if she didn't have an heir. So Ruth goes back, Boaz sees Ruth, he falls in love with her, but he's second in line. There is a kinsman redeemer that's closer, and he goes to this guy and says, hey, listen, you need to marry Ruth and raise up an heir, and if you don't want to marry her, step aside and I'll take her because I love her. He said, I don't want to marry her, you can marry her, but this is what he did, Ruth 4.7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. They're exchanging sandal. A confirmation of what? That he's giving up his rights. He had the right, but he's giving up his rights. This goes all the way back to the Deuteronomy to the law that says the brother shall do it, but the brother might not want to marry the widow. He might say, no way, I'm not going to marry that woman. And then God, in his love and grace, gives the woman a little bit of revenge. In Deuteronomy 25, 9, then his brother's wife, if he says no, I'm not marrying her, shall come to him in the presence of the elders at the gate of the city, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Wow. And his name, it gets better than that, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. You spit in the face and your name's changed. So can you, can you imagine going to the courthouse to get your driver's license renewed? Yes, sir, what is your name? Oh, my name is the house of him who had his sandal removed, Jones. The man had a right, but the man gave up his rights. What did God tell Moses to do when he was there at the burning bush? Take your shoes off. Why? Give up your rights. You're on holy ground. You've got to give up your rights. What did the commander of the, Lord, the Lord's army say when he met Joshua right before the battle of Jericho? Take off your shoes. Give up your rights. Well, why does he need to do that? Because you're not the commander. I'm in charge. Take off your shoes means give up your rights. By the way, listen, by the way, those who are listening to me right now, no one here is saved if you haven't given up your rights. To be saved, you have to give up your rights. Well, how does that work? Well, the Bible says no covenant is enforced unless both parties die. Well, Jesus has already died, so we have to die to self to come into this covenant. If you haven't died to self, and you're just coming to church because somebody's dragging you, the good news is you can die to self and have a better life. When, with God, if you give up your rights, he gives you rights, he gives you his righteousness, 
He gives you his authority. He gives you the rights of a son when you lay down your rights. Let's talk about shoes. Are you wearing your shoes? Because shoes in the natural give you freedom. In Second Chronicles, the very first thing they did when, when they captured slaves, they took off their shoes. It was a sign, slaves don't have shoes. So when the prodigal came home and said, make me a servant, make me a slave, they put, he put shoes on him immediately to say to the culture, no, 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 this, this is my son. Put shoes on his feet. So sh- shoes also give us freedom, but shoes also give us protection. Shoes are part of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we just read where Jesus said, I give you authority to tread on scorpions and, and, and serpents. Those are types and shadows of, of demons and devils. And so you better have your shoes on. Shoes also give you confidence. You give a six, eight-year-old kid a brand-new pair of tennis shoes, and they'll show you how fast they can run because of those shoes, right? They have all the confidence in the world. I, and I don't know about you, but undoubtedly that worked with parents too because it worked with my dad because my, my dad would say, uh, he, he would say, Jerry, do you have your shoes on? Yes, sir. Good. Take out the garbage. <laughs> I, I don't have my shoes on. You've got yours on. So it must have given him confidence for me to do something so I could take the garbage out. But if you ask a woman about shoes, the woman's going to tell you that shoes complete the outfit. Ladies, you just left me out there. I set you up. (laughs) Shoes complete the outfit, right, ladies? That's why it's so amazing how many shoes a certain gender has. It's amazing that the shoe department for a certain gender is five times larger than the male's shoe department, and they still can't find anything that fits Guys, it's simple for us. In South Alabama, this could fit some of you right now. I could call you your name. This would fit you. But it went like this. A guy walks into Bass Pro, goes to the shoe department, and he says, do you have those in 10s? Yes, sir. I want 10, and I want it in brown. The guy comes out with a box, hands to the guy, thinking he's going to sit down and try them on. The guy turns the walk out. And he says, sir, 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 don't you want to try them on? And he said, are, are they 10s? Yes, sir. Are they brown? Yes, sir. Just turn and walk out. That's all. I mean, that's as simple as we do it, right, guys? But spiritually, shoes complete the outfit. Ephesians 6, you need the breastplate. You need the sword of the Spirit. You need the belt of truth. You need the shoes of the gospel of peace. See, shoes also provide comfort. Because if I've got the armor on and I've got the shoes of the gospel of peace, it's, I'm comfortable. I, I can share I can comfortably share who I am and what Jesus has done. But think about it when you go home. Some of us, you know, you want to get comfortable. You're going to put on your flip-flops or maybe your house shoes. Why? Because you're at home. You want to relax. That's what the father was saying to the son. Welcome home. Relax. Enjoy being home. I could have titled this talk, How to Enjoy Being Home. Last week, Trey talked about how to stay home. But how do you enjoy staying, how do you enjoy being at home? Put on your robe. No more condemnation. You're not good enough. It's his righteousness. It's not yours. How, how do you enjoy? You, you use your ring of authority because you're obeying the Father. So when something comes against your home, come against, it comes against your marriage, you have the authority because you're obeying the authority of the Word, and then you can speak and go and do, and, and, and you, you use your ring. And then you have on your 
shoes. And you have freedom. And you have protection. You have confidence. And you have comfort. Why, why does this have to be so hard? It doesn't. And I think it's so hard for some of us because we don't understand the gifts of the Father. Because with these gifts, and we're using these gifts, we can enjoy being home with the Father. We can enjoy living this life and walking out this life. So, look, let me close with this thought. Just a few weeks we'll be going into Easter. And we know a few days before Easter that the soldiers were gambling at the cross for what? Jesus' robe. He was disrobed, naked, so we could wear his robe of righteousness. And his shoes, his sandals were taken off. Why? Because they're going to cross his feet and they're going to nail a nail through the top of his foot, through both feet. His shoes were taken off so we could walk in freedom. And Jesus had a ring. Yeah, he had a ring. He had a ring of thorns placed on his head so we could rule and reign in authority with him. So simply, are you wearing your robe? Are you using your ring? Are you wearing your shoes? And I really feel like that for us as sons and daughters of God, if we would use these rings, sometimes we don't know how important the gifts are. Sometimes we haven't been taught how to use them. So sometimes we're just going into the far country and doing life and things are hard. We come back to the Father and here are these gifts. So we need to use them. This last week, on Thursday, we were having a, another sod party at the, our admin building. We were adding on to the admin building. We've laid like 100 pallets of sod. So we had the students from City Hope College there as part of their... <laughs> pastoral education to learn how to throw sod <laughs> to learn how to work one of our students is from Honduras his father died when he was a child the only thing he has of significance of remembrance of his father is a ring and he had this ring on while he was laying sod and he lost it He's devastated. It was his father's. It had significance to it. He looked, he couldn't find it. That was on Thursday. Sometime during Friday, one of our ladies in the office just decided, I'm, this is devastating, this kid. So she starts looking, and she found it. She found it. See, I think that this ring, if it meant that much to us as it did to this kid, this was the identity of the father, it's what he had from the father. If the ring of authority, if we realize if I obey authority, then I have authority. I think if we realize how important that is and we pursue it and we look for it, I think it'll change our lives. I really do. I think it'll change our lives so that we enjoy 
the presence of the Father in the home. Remember, this whole series is about the Father. In the home is the presence of the Father. And if I'm, if I'm not wearing the robe, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do right by my own means. If, if, if I'm not wearing the ring, I'm not operating in authority and I'm getting kicked around and pushed around. But I'm a son of the Father and I'm getting beaten around. And if I'm not wearing the shoes, not only am I not going to have comfort and confidence, but I'm probably not going to be confident enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with my friends and people that I know, give my story, my testimony. So those are the gifts of the Father. And all of us need to operate in those and use those so we can enjoy the presence of the Father at home. Amen? Lord, thank you so much. Not only did you give us your Son and you resurrected him, not only have you given us the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, but Father, on this earth, you've given us gifts. And we thank you for the robe of righteousness and we thank you for the ring of authority and we thank you for the shoes that represent the gospel and the peace and the comfort and the confidence that we can have in you. And I pray that you open all of our eyes to see how valuable these gifts are and obtainable. We can obtain them because we're sons and daughters. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.